0: Welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives Rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at
1: gmail.com.
0: Hello, Amanda. Hey, Rachel. Uh, How are you? I am good. So, today we're talking about Impossible, which is episode 15, written by Mark Cherry. Mark Cherry back in the building. Hey, buddy. And Tom Speciali, who we've seen multiple times, and directed by Larry Shaw. So, no women.
2: (laughs) No women. Mm. Um, And
0: Mm. first aired on February
2: 20th, 2005. Okay. All right. So, What was your question for me? What was the most or least desperate moment of the week? Yeah.
0: What is your most or least desperate moment of the week?
2: I feel my most desperate week or day of the week was Thursday in general. Like this was a four day week um, at school and my students and I decided that a four day week that starts on a Tuesday just hits different Mm -hmm. and ends up feeling like a seven day week. Whereas okay. if you have a four day week where you have Friday off, if you you're more relaxed. So by Thursday, I was exhausted. I went and got Starbucks and got a venti, and I have Invisalign now, so I'm not supposed to be like <laughs> drinking coffee leisurely throughout the day. But darned if I didn't nurse that coffee with the Invisalign tray in all day because I I couldn't find my pep in my step. So I was looking I was looking for some caffeine help. So I just was like just tired just tired. So I kept looking at the clock, like counting the hours. So that's where I felt desperate this week.
0: You know, Thursday might've been my most desperate day too, because I took Friday off. Two women that work with me, we uh, all took a vacation day on Friday and we went to a winery and did a charcuterie board and a tasting. And so for me, I think Thursday was my most desperate day because I was just desperate to get it over with because I took Friday off.
2: Yes, I hear that. That's I hear fair. that. This week felt like an eight day, four day week.
0: I didn't have Monday off, so sad for me. That's yeah. why I made it a four day week.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, like, and it was still hard, right? Yeah. It was still hard. It was oh. still hard. I agree. Ugh. But now I'm the be- real. I need it to be spring. I need it to be spring and be warm. And I need to not be wearing a giant coat and like snow boots into my job. Like I just once it's warm, I feel like this is the death march. That's true. Right now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Winters in the Midwest, may they be mm. short. Mm. All right. But now I'm here with you, so I feel better.
2: Yes. Yeah. You- now it's like a little bit of sunshine, right? In our little recording Literally studio. Literally a little bit of sunshine. Do you want to take us to your summary? So we get to swirl around Mike and the Mrs. Huber's mystery, murder mystery charge We also get to meet one of John's friends and kind of see him, see him sort of try to work his way into Gabby's heart a little bit in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. We are invited to a pool party where everybody's invited for Zach's birthday. And um, we get to experience a little bit of heartbreak with Susan. It's got a lot of different parts, a lot of different things going on in this episode. It's all the things, right?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I forgot we do have a new review so we have to read it five stars
1: oh yeah well
0: one of my favorite podcasters I might have already said this he uh, used to say five stars and you can say anything you want about me yeah because that's what the algorithm looks at it doesn't look at like the lexicology there's like all the words right it doesn't it doesn't pick up on that in the algorithm it only picks up on the stars so the content is fun and Rachel has an excellent voice for this medium what did she and Sophie like team up or something to sit like, is this... What is that uh, called? What's that toxic behavior where like almost like a narcissist where it's like you say something really, really nice and then you say something really mean and then you say mm. something really nice. Anyway. It's sort of like the compliment sandwich. There you go. Yeah. I'm scenario. Anyway, okay. sorry. I'm not taking this away from you and RN. Sorry. I'm sorry. The content is fun and Rachel has an excellent voice for this medium. Her persona is upbeat and she has a rare ability to keep you listening. Follow up review. Just caught up with the show and finished this week's episode. Amanda and Rachel converse well together. Love the way Amanda ties in everyday life experience experiences with episode material from Desperate Housewives. Great work, girls.
2: That's so sweet. Hey, look at us. They like our text to (laughs) self-connections.
0: Good, because that's what we're here for. That's what we do. Um, Song and episode title check-in, Impossible, is a song from Steven Sondheim. I feel like we need a sound effect for Steven Sondheim. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I like Mm -hmm. anything that's on here.
1: Um,
0: That drum roll.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I the I like show anything. that it's from. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I feel like I saw that show. Yeah. In local theater. Okay. And it wasn't for me. Okay. Normally, I'm fixated in a musical, and this one wasn't for me.
0: While you were watching this, did you find like a tie-in with impossible?
2: With the thought, yeah. of something being impossible, right? A couple different places I did, okay. yeah. Was it like- But I don't know if I know the song. Okay. I, don't, I think I need to listen to the song. But in
0: terms of the play, because I've not seen it, or the musical, is it a farce? Like, is it a lot of things that are really far out and ridiculous, virgin on satire? I truly
2: enjoyed it so little, little that I don't <laughs> even remember I just remember I remember I didn't like it and I remember and it wasn't anything to do with the actors like it was I had a really good friend actually a good friend and colleague that was in the show okay. and she was extraordinary but like I remember what my husband would refer to as halftime <laughs> or also intermission <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I remember us being like I don't really want to go back in. But we knew we needed to because our friends were in it. But we were just like, "Ah." like, I don't even remember what it was about. I just remember I didn't love it. So what's funny about you calling it halftime and
0: intermission is that we went, my husband and I went to see a play and I could tell he hated it. I thought it was fine. It was the 39 Steps by Alfred Hitchcock. So it's funny, but it's also, Uh, yeah. Yes. And when intermission came, he thought it was over and he's like, you know, I just didn't love it, but you know, I'm glad we went for you. And he didn't (gasps) realize. that like we still had, had another to go half back. i let him think that and i just got in the car and left because i felt bad i didn't think that he was having yeah. such a bad time so that's funny that you said yeah. that.
2: <laughs> quick musical shout out i've recently become obsessed with the music from the musical six okay have you heard of it mm-hmm. it okay. is henry the eighth's wife
0: oh that would be something i would like though so i guess i have to figure that out then
2: it's Awesome. It has a little bit of a Beyonce flair, but then in some parts it has a little bit of a Britney Spears flair, but then it also hits a little bit like Hamilton in some spots. So we bought tickets and I've been listening to it literally nonstop. It's either that or Mary J. Blige on my Alexa. I love it. All the time here so, for it listen to it give it a listen i will let, let us know how you feel about it listeners give it a
1: listen
0: i will and actually we have a new segment called two truths and a lie and i want to we'll see how it lands for you but okay. i don't feel like we talk about production enough and i'm not using this mm-hmm. book that i bought enough in the podcast so when we get to this scene i will do two, two truths and a lie but i'm going to put it in into where we would talk about it in the scene by scene so Okay. okay, all right. Over in the let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, over in the cold open our first words, Bree Vandegam believed in old fashioned values. Things like respect for God, the importance of family, and love of country. And I'm not a- Complete with a Ronald Reagan. I'm not a Reagan girl. Like, I got nothing to say about the- But nonetheless, right? In fact, Brie believes so strongly in her values, it was always a shock whenever she was confronted with those who didn't. And that leads us to Brie finding the condom in the laundry and assume it was Rex's. And she's pissed. She is livid. And- Rex says, it really isn't mine,
2: and I'm not the only man that uses that hamper. She did go in guns a-blazing, and he kept us cool for being complete. I mean, he like he definitely defended himself, but I feel like that could have gone a lot worse. So,
0: And I was completely convinced it wasn't his. I totally believe him. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. I don't know how much I would put past him being safe or not being safe.
2: Also true. He's of
0: a generation where I don't think there is
2: knowledgeable of yeah. the side effects of unsafe sex you'd
0: think wait, since we've been procreating for this long but i feel like our generation took that a lot more seriously than that generation
2: did yes 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 maybe because of the mistakes so, of our fathers so brie decides she wants rex to forbid andrew from having sex i love not gonna work i love
0: this and i love this conversation about like we could take away his penis and he'll still try to
1: have sex with it
2: <laughs> yes Yeah, so Brie decides she's going to put the condom on Andrew's bed, kind of like a, I know what you did, you know? Right. And can we just discuss the fact that, like, Rex says something about he's 16 years old. This child has done the most for being 16. No kidding. Vehicular manslaughter-ish. Beers, like, full mugs of beer. At a strip club. club. Like, that had to have been, like, a couple months before this, so... I feel like this kid has lived like a a really long life at 16 and has done everything.
0: Certainly having a moment, isn't he?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So Andrew comes in and sees it. And then we kind of just close. We just kind of close out. But the last words there is being safe rather than sorry. I'll give it to Brie for this is that, yeah, you're getting your point across that. I know your secret, Mm -hmm. um, your condoms and your dirty, dirty sex. So I'll just put it on your bed so that you're aware that I'm aware. Mm-hmm. but it's left a little bit ambiguous as to what Andrew does with that information. So we'll get to that later. Can't wait. After we return, it's each morning in suburbia brings with it a new set of lies. Little white lies, lies not meant to hurt, but to make life more pleasant. And we tell these lies to protect not only ourselves, but our reputations with Carlos and the past due bills. But the day arrives when we decide to tell the truth. And the ladies are all over at Breeze discussing Martha Hoover's jewelry being found in Mike's garage and discussing whether or not they should call the police and report that they find it.
2: I love that Susan makes the right choice here. I also love that her friends were willing to catch a case and cover it up for her if they needed to. You know, what, what was it? Obstruction of, I don't know, tampering, evidence tampering or a, a host of things. And they were willing to... I mean, I don't know how, when you get down to it, if they were really willing to, but they kind of were like, Susan, we'll do whatever you want us to do. Yes. So... And is 911 the correct number to call? It
0: is not. I can tell you my niece is a police dispatcher and she gets these calls all the time that are non-emergent, but they're happy for you to call them if you don't know what else to do. But most people do yeah. have Google on their phone and you can call the non-emergency number and there's even a, an answering service for them. And if they think you're wrong and that this is an emergency, they will tap you over. They will put you over to 911. But you should know from a 911 dispatcher's perspective no it's not an emergency but if you have no one else okay. to call call 911 that's the rule about everything
2: yes yeah, so they should have pulled out the yellow pages or the, the phone book the white pages whatever in 2005 and looked it up that's the most 2005 thing about this episode
1: mm-hmm.
2: and they do decide yeah. they do decide to
0: call i agree i appreciate that they're there for susan and they're kind of going to let her take the reins because this is her relationship and mm-hmm. i think that that Whether or not you're right, whether or not I believe that they would have not called eventually, it seemed like they were at least going to give Susan the right of
2: first refusal. Yeah. I don't know that they would have taken it to their grave, but Dun, dun, dun. Right. (laughs) Okay. So then we cut over to Susan's house and our sweet friend, sweet and not at all creepy friend, Zach, shows up to tell Julie he's having a pool party. Okay. First of all, he is kind of the least party having type person other than his father in this whole show. Sure. So Julie tells him that she doubts that mama let her go for obvious reasons. And I'm not really loving the guilt that he puts on poor Julie here. I feel like Julie is carrying enough already. Agreed. I don't think she needs a guilt trip. And I think that he is showing himself as a potentially emotionally abusive person, which granted, he's got a lot of trauma that he's working through, but I don't like what I've seen from him so far um, in the last couple of episodes, both with the knocking over the whatever furniture Mm -hmm. at Susan and then this, it's not it for me. And also the blackmailing his dad of the, well, we're not moving. I'll keep your secret, but we're not moving. Like he's got some layers. He's a little bit of a parfait slash
1: onion
0: that is I like that better than onion I've not heard somebody say the layers of a parfait and I want to use that you haven't seen Shrek I know the layers of an onion pulling back the layers of an onion
2: Shrek but I don't hear them say a parfait in Shrek do they in that same scene they're talking about how you're more like a par. you're not like an onion you're more like a parfait now it's
0: starting okay it's starting to sink in a little bit but yes I like that thank you yeah, you're welcome. You should give it, a, give it a rewatch. It's a classic. I will have to. Over at Gabby's, John's roommate Justin arrives, and he tells Gabby that he is willing to mow the lawn, trim the hedges, and do anything else. I, he said trim the bushes. Trim the bushes. He said okay. trim the bushes. Got it. Okay. that's Which was intentional. Sorry to interrupt. Cl- Go on. No, you're right. And good clocking it. I'm sure I blocked it out yeah. because it was just so on the nose. But he will do everything that John used to do for her. Yeah, Gabby declines and says that her husband is around and he can take care of anything that needs to be tended to. And Justin seems exasperated. Not necessarily, I just got turned down by a hot girl, that this yeah. is a desperate need.
2: Yeah. I am tired of Gabby being, I don't know, just... Like, let's show any sort of misogyny and disrespect towards Gabby. Like, what would your if you coming into this situation only knowing the surface level, what would your level of rage be here? Because this would have put me through the roof.
0: Yeah, you're right. This would be and I think it would be mostly because of who's perpetrating it upon me that, Okay, John Rowland's parents can put me away for statutory rape. Feels like I have to tiptoe around this one a little bit. Carlos has this yeah. over me. I got to tiptoe around this one. But you know what? I don't even know you, stranger. And you come here and you're extorting or blackmailing me. I've had enough. With your frosted tips. With your frosted tips. <laughs> that might also be the most 2005 thing about this is the backstreet oh, boy hair. And the, the, straight boy band. Yes, yeah, straight, straight. Up. And you know what? Gotta say, my boyfriend at the time definitely did that to his hair. And I
2: definitely loved it loved. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, like I can you smell the Abercrombie cologne from here. Fierce, I believe it was called. I
0: believe it was okay, called Fierce. Thanks. And so of its time and at the same time somewhat timely when we get to how we use the word fierce now, which is more in a
2: like a female assertion of power. Yeah. Yeah. Cut over to Casa de Scavo. And Tom comes home to a peaceful, just kidding, a hockey rink of a home, literally, on to tell Lynette he did not get the VP gig. Tim Dugan got it. Dang it, Tim Dugan, you job-stealing bastard. Yes. Lynette asks Tom if he told Mr. Peterson that he wanted the job. And Tom says he's been there for eight and a half years and Tim's been there for less than two. He's not going to beg for it. I mean, I get it, but like... If you want it, you got to speak it into existence. You got to say it. And I wonder if that
0: is a gendered communication. For me, I have always thought that you have to speak it into intention and that my intention is to eventually do your job someday. So whatever it is that you need to train me to do or whatever it is I can take off of your plate, please let me so that I can establish to you that I would be capable of doing this someday if you were to want to move up or if you were to if you were to want to express that intentionality to, to your supervisor. And I don't know if that is extra because I have definitely been accused of that in my own career or overly ambitious or thirsty. I'm not sure where that comes from or if it's interpreted the same way with men and women, but it really does feel like Tom feels it would be extra or thirsty or overly ambitious or beneath him maybe to be speaking intention.
2: I agree with that. And these kids with this hockey match going on, how are there still lamps and breakables in this home? Because I saw two lamps in the scene. One of them was like a normal, you know, table lamp with a shade. And another one was a floor lamp. How are these not smashed into smithereens and on fire on the floor of this living room?
0: Your guess is as good as mine. The only thing I can say is that From my mother's experience, she didn't hear things after a while. It just became background noise or white noise to her. And it was somebody else saying, hey, isn't that a little loud? That would bring her back into existence. That, oh, yeah, I guess that is kind of loud. I just don't hear it anymore. So for Tom, who is out in the working world all day. Corporate world. Maybe it's more of a nuisance than it is for Lynette, who has become numb to the... The experience.
2: I just don't understand how there's how this home doesn't have like broken windows and things from All the time. literally hockey sticks. I'm sure in they the house. Are. Three kids with hockey sticks going at it.
0: I think it does. And that's why you just get over like you just get over it and also prop apartment. <laughs> <laughs> to
2: oh, me that's no. a plot hole. To me the fact that their home is doesn't look like a I don't know, like a like a smash room or whatever. What do we call that?
0: Yeah, isn't that where you go room? in
2: with the yeah. Smash rooms. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't look like a smash room to me is a plot hole with all the things we've seen go on there. So. And definitely
0: the props department probably had things that were not as breakable. Um, And I can see that about when when she would buy something, it would be, oh yeah, I'm going to buy this because it looks sturdy. Like it looks like it
1: is a lamp to these
0: kids, but it's really made of like polyurethane or something that bounces right off the hardwood floor.
2: (laughs) styrofoam. It's made of styrofoam. Oh, it's all inflatable.
0: Mike comes over to Susan's and asks why he hasn't seen her in a while, and she said, "Oh, just been busy with, you know, groceries." And as they talk, the police move in and handcuff him, which I'm supposed to believe that was a complete setup. A SWAT team just moves in on you,
2: like yeah. That? Susan didn't look like she knew that that was going to happen, but I don't know. Would you be able to keep your cool while a whole SWAT team moves in behind your man? Like no. And also, I'm not sure how forthcoming she's
0: being with her level of involvement in why the police are there. So that yeah. feels more like entrapment or something like that. Where if it would have been me, yes, I would have said. You know, Mike, there's somebody behind you and all this stuff. But I guess they're saying, you know, keep it cool. The detectives yeah. and the SWAT team seem to be telling her to keep
2: it cool and then hit the deck. And she does. She does. I just would also like to add that the, hey, sexy, where have you been greeting that Susan received from Mike when he walked up to her. That made me cringe. Me too. I just want to put that. That That's not how I like to be greeted by anyone ever. In (laughs) public. No, no, that's, it just was like, it just just was so weird. I don't know.
0: I think, again, you become numb to your own condition. And that might be another thing Though, so 2005 about this episode is the level of objectification.
2: Yeah. I mean, we know that that's a thing because Gabby, but... Mm back to the Vandy camps, sitting at the dinner table in a, I have to say, do you watch The Bachelor? Yeah. Okay. So
0: I did. I think we've had this conversation. I watched The okay. Bachelor up until Hannah Brown season. And then I was just over it. I'm like, none of these people yeah. have real jobs. They're influencers right. to be.
2: Yes. I love when one of their jobs is like dog walker or like fishing enthusiast. And like that's literally your job. One of them but- was a chicken enthusiast. Oh, yes, yes. You're right. You're right. But when you watch The Bachelor and they're having like their hometown dates or whatever, and they're sitting at dinner, they always have this setup where they're not sitting around a table the way that you normally would with four, like one on each side. Mm-hmm. They have like, so that you can see the the, everybody from the front of the table. That's literally how the Vandykamp family was sitting at dinner. And I was so distracted by it. Norman I was like, Rockwell. Right. But like, why are your kids sitting right next to each other when your table has four sides? Why are they not? Chair, I, I don't know. Like, do you guys, how, how do you guys sit around your table? Because we have a chair on each side. We don't have that set up. So
0: I couldn't tell you the last time that Chris, Addie, and I sat at our table in our house. The closest I can tell you is like when we go to a restaurant, we don't leave a third yeah. space for the camera to be there with us. But you know what? <laughs> Nobody's decided to holderness my family yet and create a reality show out of it. We would be the most, we actually have this conversation. Like, we would be the most boring reality show up.
2: Yeah, um, year, except for, like year. maybe
0: that should have been what you should have done, like during COVID or something, when I was homeschooling oh. her, and
2: <laughs>
0: that would have been worth everybody's time. But everybody was
2: living it, so who knows? Right, right, right. People don't want to go back to that. The
0: dinner conversation um, so, at the camps. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So we're back at the bachelor style, not bachelor, but like the bachelor <laughs> style dinner table, and Andrew and Danielle are just being ruthless making fun of Zach sending formal invitations to his pool party, which I thought it was weird that he was sending formal invitations, but I also thought they were being incredibly unkind. And I was surprised that Brie let them be unkind. And I was not surprised that Rex was smirking at them, thinking that their meanness was funny. Yes. I was not surprised, but one was surprising. One was not surprising. Anyway, Brie asks if Lisa... Andrew's friend with the pierced navel <laughs> will be at the party. Because she's obviously a whore. Because we're just going to slut shame 14-year-olds. Right, right. And Bree then tells on. Andrew she wants him home by 11, which he's like, 11? It's not even a school night. And Rex is kind of a jerk here, not a good partner. Parents saying, well, that's not going to help. So then that opens up the conversation about the condom. And Brie says, if you get Lisa pregnant, you will marry her, which is a very Brie thing to say. I suppose. And then we find out that the condom wasn't Andrews. It's Danielle's. The president
0: of the abstinence club.
2: Right. Well, she's not running for a second term. That's right. So rewatching this with my husband, just a delight. His comment when he realized what was about to go down when the camera panned to Danielle was, shoot, dang, shoot, dang. That's My brother-in-law says that whenever something wild happens. So I'm literally watching this and I can see my husband's facial expression out of the corner of my eyes. So I turn. Just in time to see the big eyes and the shoot, dang, with the really raised eyebrow.
0: We need a what is that called? A sting for that too. We're going to come up with a sting for our Joeisms and criticisms on this podcast. Yes. So that I mean, again, for me, it was satire uh, virgin on farce. Words. You know, if you get her pregnant, you will marry her. And I'm just dying laughing because even in 2005, my joke about that is, you're right. It's so much better that your 16 year old son knocked up this girl, but don't worry, they're getting married at 16. And it really brought me back to, yeah, a Bristol Palin kind of moment where it's
2: like,
0: where I'm just, uh, you know, again, it's the most 2005. 1950
2: thing of it so yes definitely charming and endearing just family family love right there
0: um in the kitchen danielle and uh, brie are having a follow-up conversation and danielle says you know if you want to know i'm still a virgin but i'm planning to have sex with john roland who broke up with me for not being willing to have sex with him which we know is not the biggest reason that john didn't want to um be with danielle but she doesn't Mm -hmm. And there's this moment between Brie and Danielle when Brie said, you know, I had urges too, but I waited so that I could be with your father as my husband and it made everything so much better. Now here's the joke about that is how could you possibly know? Cause you have nothing to compare it to. So I think that part of purity culture just really irks me in multiple ways. If that is your choice, that is your choice and be in, have that choice. But. I understand what Danielle is saying about, yeah, but you're like the most miserable person that I've ever met. You and daddy, your relationship does not work. You,
2: The walls are paper thin. I hear more than I should. No
0: kidding. Or I don't hear more than I should. That that was what I thought of when she said the walls are paper thin. And I'm like, oh, gross. Except if your parents aren't having sex, then you just hear that they're not having sex. But she says, I love you a lot, which was beautiful. I did not know that. I really did not know if Danielle felt that way about her mother. She said, Mm -hmm. I love you a lot, but you're really the last person to give advice about sex and
2: happiness. I thought, okay, first of all, that's fair. Mm, Fair. That is fair. Second of all, Danielle with the hard truth delivered tactfully is like we have just completely changed this character's personality in this show. And
0: I don't know if it's because I haven't, seen enough of her to suss out who she is or just the things that I've seen of her have been so surface level
2: but yeah this like was- the I don't care who I live with as long as I have my own bathroom yeah. as she's brushing her hair that's what I get like maybe I just haven't had this enough- doesn't attract with that no
0: that's fair it doesn't track. at the same time I don't know that I've spent enough time with her you know it's it's tough Because I've also seen her be really, really supportive to Andrew in that that Mm -hmm. time period. And then at the same time, yeah, as long as I have my own bathroom, I don't care which parent I live with. So it's,
2: yeah. Question. So Andrew's 16. How old is Danielle? When do you think 14? Because she would be the same age as Julie? Uh, Yes. So we do know that 14-year-old anybody, 14-year-old humans, after teaching middle school for 23 (laughs) years. 14 year old humans are basically like, you know, Quicksilver, we're constantly moving and changing and completely different people within the span of 30 seconds, basically. So it is possible, you know, that she that they're casting her that way and portraying her that way to match up with just being a, a teenager. But I also don't know that our I think with some of the other things that we've seen from our writers room that haven't made sense. I don't know that they would have thought about that. Yeah.
0: I think we might be giving them too much credit there.
2: I think so too. Also Brie and the pencil skirt and string of pearls, that's fancier than I wear to work. And granted I teach middle school, but like that's for her just walking around the house in some heels and a pencil skirt and that cashmere sweater, which I mean, it's beautiful on her. Every color is beautiful on Brie, but real fancy. She's living an
0: Insta worthy life without Insta.
2: Yeah. What store do you think, like in this day and age, like with Brie, what store do you think would style her? So
0: I think that I'm going to be wrong about this because my taste in clothes is as uh, Anna Delvey would have said on, um, I'm obsessed with her by the way, super basic. And it's like, I mean, it's a big deal for me to go here. Uh, but I, I think of her as like white house black market.
2: Okay. Having literally just been in there on the way to the airport to go to Houston because I needed a dress for a banquet. Okay. I think that that's a little racy for her. Okay. Hmm. I would put her, just only because I've recently been in there trying on garments. I think that I would put her at Talbot's. Okay. I or was thinking Talbot's wasn't Ann expensive. Taylor. Okay. I was
0: thinking Ann Taylor and Talbot's, but I thought those weren't even expensive enough. And I feel like, yeah, but you're right. You're right. There's a different aesthetic to
2: um, White House Black Market. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's less, there's stuff that's less tailored, but there's also stuff that's just a little bit racier and more pattern. Like I think for Sherbury could go there and find some pieces, but I think like if you were looking at the whole, just the whole line, I would put her um, Talbots or Ann Taylor.
0: I trust you more
2: on this than I trust me. <laughs> What a dumb conversation I just brought up. It's not
0: a dumb conversation. We can have whatever conversation we want. You know what? And leave that in the reviews too. We can have whatever dumb and divergent and trailing off conversation that we want to because we listen to this podcast every week. Can you say the same?
2: Right. But also in that same review or the comments, where do you think Brie would be styled by? Oh, yes. I want to hear that. I want to hear the answer to that. Oh, okay. At
0: Gabby's, she is worried about the multiple final notices that they've been receiving. And it looks like, again, she's lived through them turning off the power. And outside, Gabby hears the lawnmower and sees Justin driving it.
2: So <laughs> while flexing, while flexing, of course,
0: and the conversation between Carlos and Gabby, where Gabby feels like it's time to face the music, she's trying, she's trying to get him to understand our life situation has changed, yeah. and we need to take some concrete steps to get it back on track. Very, very pragmatic and practical. Whereas Carlo says, everything is going to be fine because it just always is. It always works out for people. You're lucky people. Yeah. We're lucky people. It always works out for people like us. Look, somebody's offered to do our lawn for free. And I'm like, how big of an idiot are you that you think anybody wants to work for free? Oh, wait, you're the guy who's in trouble for
2: slave labor. Yes. (laughs) Makes sense. That's true. Totally tracks. Totally tracks. Oh, let's head over to the ball field. Mm. Um, I got to tell you, we had a lot of conversation during the rewatch at my house about this. But Tim Dugan gets a hit, falls to the ground while rounding third. Yes, I believe you're right. Okay. Either rounding. No, it was third because of where the people were swarming him to do CPR. Okay. So, all right. Our conversation at my house, a couple of things. My husband was very troubled by the fact that Lynette was allowed on the bench. <laughs>
0: I guess to give snarky commentary.
2: Yeah, but I did love Tom's play by play, and I thought he could find another career as like a Jim Brockmeyer kind of character.
0: And we, and husband... we heard him as the MC at that fashion show. He was yeah.
2: phenomenal. Yeah. My husband was questioning the sound of the ball, oh. he thought it sounded more baseballish. So his comment was, well, it must have been a 12 inch. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I got to learn all about the different versions of softball. There's a 12 inch, which is the harder ball and a 16 inch, which is also called a mush ball that is played without gloves. Can you imagine playing softball without a glove? I cannot. No, but
0: then again, if I'm on your team for softball, you might as well just resign yourself to the fact that I'm not going to help you win anything. And I'll just be on the bench making reservations for after the game so we can all have a drink, which I will be buying the first round of because that might be the only way that people allow me to come back.
2: Okay, okay. The other problem that we had was... Wearing jeans to play softball oh. is very much along the lines of Gabby wearing the juicy couture sweatsuit to go for a run. Fair. Like these are not people in this writer's room that are thinking about the proper attire for athletic activities. It had to be said. Sorry. No,
0: I'm totally there for it. I don't run in jeans. Ew. <laughs> well, and like,
2: yeah, I don't know. To me, like you don't, chance. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, people, I'm not sure. maybe people show up for softball in jeans, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen
0: it.
1: Oh, man.
2: The things that they
0: got away with in 2005 that just do not fly here in 2022 for multiple reasons, right? Right. You got to have the right gear. You got to show up in the right clothes for the
2: activity if you want to be successful.
0: And also, people will make comments on it on Twitter now. And I think writers are more responsive to that. Like People that had websites and talked about us for housewives back then, they were so niche and nuanced that writers may ever have found out that you cared about that Mm -hmm. and that it bothered you. Mm -hmm. So we're taking back our power as viewers. And I like that. I'm here for it. Right. Over at Susan's, Julie wants to go to the pool party. And of course, Susan says no. Um, Just in time for Detective Copeland
2: to arrive and ask some questions about Mike. So they go into the living room. Do the cops just show up like that, like unannounced, like you're not expecting them and they're going to ask you a bunch of questions in your home? Is that a thing? I guess we
0: could ask somebody who has more experience with that or ask one of our law enforcement friends. But maybe they do want to surprise you so that you can't, that you'll be there. Okay. All right. That's fair. Just had to ask her. No. I think that's fair enough. So, Susan and Julie are sitting on the couch, Detective Copeland in a chair, talking about the night in question of Martha's murder. And Susan has an epiphany that Mike couldn't possibly have been murdering Martha Hoover because they were busy having sex.
2: It was a very big night for our relationship. (laughs) And Julie corroborates the story. Uh, Julie's the one that puts the words on it. Like, Susan realizes what, in true Susan form, realizes what she's alluded to and julie's like they were having sex <laughs> like julie just
0: and the next and up. i know that because the next day she made pancakes in the shape of hearts <laughs> yeah. she like knows her mom's mo which yeah. doesn't always track because she has already been guilty of saying that the last time her mom had sex would have been with her dad yeah and so that's been a sure. bit it's been a minute.
2: For sure. So during the you cannot go to the party, Susan she talks about Zach being crazy. Yes. And not I don't love that use of the word. Right. Because it's it's clear that Zach has some trauma and some potential mental health concerns. So let's maybe not describe him with the word crazy, but I know that like this is a different time and we would use that word to describe things like this super inappropriately and you know, whatever. But Susan describes herself she differentiates herself because Julie says, well, mom, you're crazy. And she says, yeah, but I'm adorable crazy while Zach is rampage crazy. Interesting.
0: And I think there's a gender difference there as well that I'm not dangerous. Well, you kind of burned down somebody's house. Yeah, so you did. So maybe you're accidental you danger crazy. And in the same vein that... Zach might've gotten overwhelmed and that some of the outburst came from that. I'm not saying that it's okay. And I'm not saying that it can't lead to someone being hurt and that I would be comfortable having my child around him. Right. But I agree with you that there is a level of hypocrisy there.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, I loved seeing Susan realize that she could be Mike's alibi because we know more than anything in the world, she wants to just be helpful and have everything be right. Right. So that was a fun moment to see Susan be like, oh, I can save the day. I can be the
0: hero. And for us as viewers, it's safe that way, right? Because we yeah. know that he did not kill her. We know that Paul right. Young did. We watched it. So it, it's a safe way for us to, to feel those emotions too, where we don't have to yeah. have any complexity to our thoughts about are you just trying to protect somebody because you want to believe the best in them
2: right let's head over to gabby's we have gabby in her room and one of many silky robes that she owns and <laughs> um frosted tips justin frosted comes into gabby's tips room justin, i love it shows up like the audacity of this boy showing up in her home and just like coming into her bedroom yeah like i'm here to collect payment there's what? nothing to garden upstairs no no. So Gabby slaps him and threatens to tell Carlos, but then Justin threatens to tell Carlos about her and John says, you'll need to be nicer to me at least once. So first, glad to be back with the blackmail here at Desperate Housewives, which we, that's the common thread it's like running a through cornerstone seems, of the, it's a cornerstone of suburbia. Everybody's blackmailing everybody else. Everybody for all different reasons in all different ways. Also that slap, I was happy with that slap, but we need to get Gabby some self-defense classes so she can fight off, you know, the ass grabbers and the, and the frosted tips kids that want to have sex with her. Like she, she needs to be able to defend herself physically. I agree. I think that is necessary for all of us. Yeah, definitely. So I'm
0: interested oh. in the, you'll have to be nice to me at least once.
2: Yeah. Thanks for dropping hints yeah, writers. But- I
0: feel that I feel that.
2: That was a good foreshadow. That's a good foreshadow.
0: Um, Mike arrives back home from jail uh, and Susan informs him that she is his alibi, that she had had that epiphany that you couldn't possibly have done it. And I shared that with the police. And so now I'm your alibi. This is so fun. It's so bouncy the way she delivers that. And he does seem excited to see her and that she's his alibi, but he excuses himself to go shower because
2: jail is gross. Jail is gross. Yeah. I would want to probably take a shower right away when I get home too.
0: Definitely. I would need a little bit of me time before I reconnect with my smoking hot girlfriend. Right. Right.
2: So speaking of girlfriends and, and love, Bree shows up at John Roland's apartment in a really cute cardigan with the little jeweled clasp, but the collar is so formal. So I want everything perfect. that she has. I know. Me too. So, but I All the colors that that woman can wear would not look great on me. Like she was wearing yellow. I would never have thought of yellow for her, but it's gorgeous. And against her hair, the contrast of her hair. I think it's the contrast of her hair. Yeah, definitely. So Brie basically just doesn't mince words and tells John Roland, my daughter's planning to give you her virginity. And I would take it as a personal favor. If you wouldn't take it
0: delivered so beautifully, just the, in the most eloquent articulate way, I'd consider it as a personal favor if you did not. Okay. But John is
2: 18 and Danielle's what? 14. We've decided. I feel 14. I feel like she's 14. Yeah. She's for sure younger than her brother. Yes. I mean, at most he could be 15, right. but like an early 15, like Just the math doesn't work out, you know. So, and he's graduating,
0: Mm -hmm. and I would assume she's going to be turning fifteen because even if she was a freshman, she would turn fifteen. Wait, so he hasn't graduated yet? Well, this whole thing—it's February. That's fair, but last episode it was—he's given up his college scholarship, so we know he's graduating this year because he's going to college. But he's in an apartment with a bunch of dudes.
2: Fair enough. They're not thinking about—they're not thinking this uh, through far enough, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Because you wouldn't, like, your kid wouldn't move out. I mean, I guess that they're emancipated and all that. But but they turned 18 in September. But mm. he hasn't because
0: he was 16 when they started the affair and it was about a year. So he's not 18 yet. Man, yeah, I need a timeline. Yeah, exactly. We need, this isn't, this isn't lining up. And it's
2: not our fault that
0: it's not lining up.
2: Way to go, writers. Yeah, yeah. We're the wrong people to talk through this timeline because we're too detail-oriented. Fair. So anyway, to the point, I love that, Brie. Just say it like it is. Upon opening the door,
0: we haven't even sat down for refreshments right. yet.
2: Right. I don't think Brie would sit down in that apartment. Fair
0: enough. She's going to, as we see it.
2: Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Before that, right.
0: you can take us to the Scabos. That's the other part about this, is that we juxta- we, we have the same scene 18 times
2: interspersed,
0: yeah. and we didn't have the attention span for it back then, and we don't
2: have it today, no. But it does I got a little bit of whiplash on this one. So we headed back over to the Scavos and Tom comes in triumphantly, the triumphant hero. He says that the triple bypass surgery went well. Tim Dugan came through with flying colors, but he can't come back to work for four point five months. Four or five months. So Tom has received the promotion.
0: Yay, Tom. I have you know, I have Yay. something for that. Oh, you probably won't be able to hear it, but maybe. Good job, Tom.
2: Yay, Tom. Pop the bubbly, Tom. Except we kind of figure out that Tom has not given Lynette all of the pieces of the puzzle because this promotion means that he will now be on the West Coast because he's going to be opening new offices up and down the West Coast. So... And I cannot believe
0: for one second that Lynette wouldn't know things like that about a possible promotion.
2: That would have been her first question. But possibly when Tom came home and said he didn't get it, maybe she was just like, well, done. Moving on to the next thing. Like maybe she wasn't thinking about it anymore. So
0: he was, well, she's obviously busy. So I don't give her any grief about not knowing the finer details. For the love of goodness, last night my daughter sang at a hockey game. And I would have promised you it was supposed to be on a Sunday night because I was ticked off that it was on a school night. Nonetheless. And I was wrong. It was on a Saturday. It worked out perfectly. But I was still, you know, again... I understand she has a lot going on. Cognitive love.
2: Yeah. Cognitive love.
0: Yeah. I can understand she has a lot going on and that this wouldn't have been at the very top of things. But I feel like anything that she identifies as a potential threat to even the small amount of sanity she has left, she would view anything under that lens of, you know, there's a promotion coming up, hoping I get it or something like that. Oh, great. What would that mean for this, for that, for the other? I think it's very possible that Tom just withheld that information. I'm not surprised about this.
2: Mm-hmm. Also, we have the whole West Coast. So I feel like they're in California. I know we've been talking about it. but if it, I feel okay. like they're in California. But
0: if it's the West Coast, that is California. And so she's mad that he'll be traveling more because he'll be on the West Coast. So that makes me think that they are oh. not in the West Coast, right? I know it never snows here and it's somehow close to both Chicago and New York.
2: And Idaho. <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> So when Tom says, this is my career, it's important to me. Like this is part of the reason, this is the catalyst for ending my first marriage. Mm. So like I 100% understand Lynette in this because I was, so I was married to a college soccer coach who literally in our, third state in three years said, Hey, I'm applying for a job. Not like, this is literally how this came out. I'm applying for a job at St. John's, which is in New York. Can you help me with my resume? Not, Hey, what do you think about this? This is what I'm doing. It
0: wasn't a conversation. It was a declaration.
2: Right. And after having literally moved to three different states and I think this was our second year in Illinois. So like we had just bought our townhouse and, but like as a teacher, the moving to a new state situation is really tough because you have to get certified in the state yes. and you have to take tests and you have to try to find a job. Absolutely. And then my career something, in, something too. Right. Right. And I've already moved my ass across the country for you and taken a job that I hated so that we could have some sort of income while you're a grad assistant making, you know, five dollars a year. I literally couldn't even buy coffee at McDonald's. We had no money. And it was it's fine because that's all part of growing into your career. But to have somebody not even be appreciative of the sacrifice that you made and just be like, well, this is what I'm doing. Like your career doesn't matter. My career is important. This is what I'm doing. When he said that to Lynette, it just brought me Boiling back to that moment, even almost twenty years later, like I could, I could feel that sense of just being unimportant. Yeah, like you know. So and I, I, not that I needed another reason to hate Tom Scavo, but now he's he's become the reincarnation of like a tough time in my life.
0: Absolutely, and and thanks, thanks, Tom. Somewhat, you know, not I don't want to say universal, but shared, right? That there are people Mm -hmm. watching this that understand that. And both from a gendered and a non-gendered perspective, when one person has to do things, has to do the things so that the other person can be achieving something or understand Mm -hmm. that Tom can't get this promotion. He can't go to work if Lynette doesn't do what she has to do at home. Because if we've learned nothing else over the last 20 months, if you don't have childcare, you don't have shit.
2: Right.
1: Exactly. You're not going to work. You're not going to the grocery
0: store. You're not going anywhere. The dentist office won't let me in right now if I have my child with me. Fair enough. Right. Because you have rules too, but then single parents can't ever get their teeth cleaned. Right. I got nothing for you. Right.
2: That's tough. Right. And again, like I know in a lot of marriages, this is how it works where the one person it's their career that you're going to focus on. And the other parent, the other partner plays the support role and is the, what I like to refer to as like the road crew while mm-hmm. the other partner is the rock star and it's it's their career is the focus, but if you don't even set it up like a conversation, like "Hey, what do you think about this? Let's talk about it." When you come in with it as a mandate, it just doesn't feel good as the other partner. So,
0: thank you for sharing that, and I just hope you know just that you're bringing it back to my own life. That like you're, do, so. <laughs> no, that you're seen and that you're heard, and I wouldn't beat your husband up. So I'm glad that. You're not I'm married anymore, so I don't have to. I'll give go you to, his address. I'm, Just kidding. I don't have to don't go to jail or coming. anything. It's nice <laughs> to not
2: have to go to jail for your friends. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. It's hard to do a wine tasting and a charcuterie in jail. <laughs> um, we'd figure something out. They put us in different jails, though. That's the problem. Probably, <laughs> you
0: wouldn't get to. You usually don't get to hang out with your co-conspirators.
2: No, we wouldn't be bunkies. Um, We wouldn't get to be bunkies. Okay,
0: back to our whiplash. We go back to John's apartment, and John confesses that he didn't break up with Danielle because she wouldn't have sex with him. He broke up with her because he wasn't that interested in her. And, of course, there was Gabby. He doesn't name Gabby, but... But he calls her a lady. He starts by calling her a lady and then corrects it to a girl. this other lady. I mean, girl. I mean, chick. I mean, (laughs) let me put in some words that are more... (laughs) appropriate to my own age, I suppose, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Um John says, you know, don't worry about it. I will talk to Danielle and I'll let her down easy. But Bree says, no, that's not gonna no. work. My daughter is incredibly persistent when she wants something, and you're going to have to be
2: brutal. She is hardcore. She is hardcore. She's cold. That's a stone cold thing to want someone to do to your daughter. Now I mean she knows she's gonna comfort her and console her and she knows that, you know, at fourteen That heartbreak isn't gonna be the worst heartbreak you ever experience in your life, but like man.
0: But up till then it might be the biggest heartbreak that Daniel experiences in our life. So all of those things we can say that now because we have relative perspective. We didn't have relative perspective then. Anything and that was for me, that was what was the most harrowing and an honor thing that came with working with adolescents is that everything they're feeling, they're feeling for the first time. And, and at a level 10, a level ten everything is an eight or higher and Ugh. it can be easy for adults to be jaded by that. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. Let me give you a, you know, swift kick in the butt that life is going to be way worse than you think it's going to be and so rub some dirt yeah no kidding and and walk it off but I mean for me again that was what was most exciting about working with adolescents is that Mm -hmm. those things were happening to them for the first time and you were helping them to develop persona in the midst of things that were traumatic and traumatic at the time and that you grow from but nonetheless yes that was hard and I can't I can't imagine saying that to somebody about my own daughter like be as horrible as you can to her
2: Make her cry. Oh. So let's head over to the diner where we've got Mike meeting up with Noah who is got a sweet tooth. I am here for his diner pie.
0: Well, when you don't have Was that it, long to live
2: <laughs> Was it a coconut cream? It looked it looked like coconut cream.
0: I don't know enough about pie. I know the pies I like. We've already established that I'm pretty picky and I like like five things. What kind of pie? Pumpkin. Uh, yeah. Chocolate silk, apple. That's like it.
2: I don't do, like, I can't eat cherry pie because it feels like I'm biting down on an eyeball. Don't care for Can that. Do it. Yeah. Nope. Don't care nope. for nope. that. Nope. I like apple pie, but I like it only if it has the streuselly stuff on top. Like crumbly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I like banana cream pie. I like coconut cream. And I like. Like a blackberry, or like I'm from the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. so they have this thing called the Marionberry, which is just the best berry you've ever seen in your life. So, like a Marionberry pie with like a scoop of vanilla ice cream on it. I don't typically gravitate towards pie. Like when I'm looking at a menu someplace for dessert, because you always have to get dessert, yes. the only get time I'll first. ever go for a pie is if it's like apple pie with like cinnamon ice cream or something.
1: That's fair
0: enough. That's it. We're a cheesecake te- factory family, and I haven't met too oh, many cheesecakes yeah. I don't like.
2: I love the just the amount of choices you have at the Cheesecake Factory. I like a table of contents and a menu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have a very expansive menu. Have you been to their place downtown? It's not Cheesecake Factory. It's can't remember the name of it, but it's like it's by their brand. Are they owned by Rock Bottom Brewery? No, I don't that's like know Chicago and stuff like that. Oh yes, yes, okay. it is. No, they have a place downtown. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like, it's kind of right near where the big, the new big Starbucks is. Okay. It's got their same menu except more and it's got a table of contents. Well, I think we'll have
0: to add that to our field trip list.
2: I can't believe I can't remember the name of the place.
0: You're going to find it yeah. and you're going to text me later. I will.
2: <laughs> I will. Probably. <laughs>
0: and at this, do you think this is the same diner that Brie was in the last episode? It looked familiar.
2: I do. Okay. I do. Okay. I do. Okay, where are we going next?
0: Well, did we kind of talk about anything about the pie? Oh, no. Okay, so, <laughs> which is fine. Pie is fair enough. But yeah. Noah is asking Mike about Martha Hoover, and he said, did you kill her? Like, just kind of matter of fact. And he said, no, I didn't. And it must mean that you're close to something then, that whoever did knows that you're getting close to something about Deirdre. And- I'm going to help you. One of the things that having money does is allows you to take some shortcuts, he says, and I will use every last dime I have to save
2: you and make sure that you get this job done for Deirdre. So I feel like I have a lot of questions about this. By the way, it's the Grand Lux Cafe. Okay. Important. Yes. If you ever come to Chicago, it's it's not the best place in Chicago, but it's a really good option. Okay. All right. I'm here for it. So I feel like this is narrowing us in on Paul Mm -hmm. because, you know, with Noah saying like whoever, whoever set you up and we know that Paul set him up. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is leading us closer and closer towards Paul. But then that makes me feel like he's not the one that Mike's investigating because it just feels like that's going to be a plot twist. I don't know. Fair enough. And you already know. Fair
0: enough. And I already have seen it,
2: but we don't I don't remember. We
0: don't have a spoiler section, so we'll just have to move forward. But that certainly seems what the show is setting you up for is we know that it was Paul that put the jewelry in Mike's garage. We know it was Paul that killed Martha Hoover, so he must have something to do with Deirdre.
1: Right. Fair enough.
0: Right. And then I'm like, is Deirdre Dana? Dun dun dun. I don't know. I want to get there. (sighs) Well, Dana is very much alive. So, if that's the case, we'll
2: be able to ask Dana herself. Yeah. Continue. Where are we going next? Let's go back to the stinky high school frat boy whatever apartment. I just want
0: you to know, even listening to that episode as I was editing it, I started hurling again because <laughs> you were helping to bring up the smell and the taste of that place so badly.
2: Anyway. A sweat and old
1: beer. Stop
0: up. It's early in the morning. People don't know this, but it's early in the morning. And it's easier to throw up <laughs> in the morning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Is that a scientific fact? It just <laughs> happens in my life. Like, morning sickness, <laughs> even when I'm not pregnant. Anyway, I'm more likely to, if you want me to throw up, like between the hours of seven and 10
2: are the best time. Just put it out. Okay, good to know. Okay. Gabby <laughs> so, like, shows up shows up to tell John that Justin is blackmailing her and just sleeping with him. You
0: can't do that. You can't but do that. John's not there. Yeah. But Justin John's is afraid.
2: Like, he knows that this would not fly with John. So he breaks down and says that he needs to sleep with Gabby to help him decide whether or not he's gay. So this left me feeling a lot of ways. Yeah. This whole storyline, like I got to a, a weird point with it later on in this episode, but I do like Gabby standing up for herself here because I feel like she takes a lot of shit. And right. this is her being like, You're not going to do this to me, which I love. I don't love how this came out, but I do love that Desperate Housewives was willing to include a teenage boy. Questioning his sexuality in their storyline because in two thousand five we weren't doing that.
0: Well, and I have some level of okayedness, right? Because I'm saying this as a cisgendered, you know, white heterosexual woman, but I know that Mark Cherry is gay, and he had been out for a long time. I don't remember if he'd been that if he came out. Earlier, I don't remember a time when I didn't know that. So I'm not sure if mm-hmm. in 2005 it was just, he had, he had already been out about that, but he is and he wrote this episode and obviously is a creator of the series. So I felt like there, it wasn't as though we were lacking that perspective in telling this story, whether or not it hits correctly now in 2022 even with representation, you know, mm-hmm. that's not I, it's certainly not for me to say. I can mm-hmm. say how it made me feel and that yeah, it was it was cringe and mm-hmm. felt like it was trivializing or playing down to, but maybe the audience you had in 2005, that was the only way, you know, spoonful of sugar was the only way to get them to take
2: the medicine. So, I think that's accurate because okay. so I listened to the podcast Smartless, oh, yeah. with Sean Hayes yeah. and It made me want to watch Will and Grace again, Mm -hmm. which I loved when that show came out. So I watched it, and I can't remember if we've talked about this on the show. I think we actually did when we were early in this series with the um, the UPS guy that had the the Broadway posters in his apartment. But when I was watching Will and Grace, like I got one episode in, and everything that they were doing related to Will being gay, they were making it like it was a joke. Like like he would make a comment and then like side eye the camera, and you'd hear the laugh track, and it just I get it because I think they were trying to make it visible mm-hmm. that, Hey, people are gay and it's, yeah, you can be a professional white man and be gay, which is great. Like having to make it a joke to make it like to bring it into the light just bothers me because I don't, it's not a joke for somebody to be gay and, right? And, and somebody shouldn't have to be a clown to be accepted as, as a person who's gay. Right. So yeah. Anyway, I think it goes back to that whole idea of having to do the spoonful of sugar to get people to not be completely not interested in your show because
1: of it.
0: An accurate representation is something I know GLAD works towards and recognizes Mm -hmm. in the GLAD Awards for representation of LGBTQ characters who are authentic and aren't Mm -hmm. the butt of a joke and aren't and aren't and aren't,
2: right? So we're working towards that. Yeah. And I think we've definitely we're definitely way better now than we were. And we obviously still need to get better, but like it's watching it now through the lens that we see the world now, watching something from back then is super cringy because it was infancy stages of trying to figure out how to represent cross-section of what who we are as people. And
0: we'll come back to this. So we'll hold that. Again, the whiplash, but we'll come back to that because yeah. we haven't closed out this scene yet. So yeah, like, we'll we'll come back to that. But meanwhile, we'll go over to Tom's work. And Lynette mm-hmm. has brought the kids to see Tom's new office. Tom is very proud of his new office. And I relate to this for a couple of reasons. One, as a classroom teacher, I have nothing but respect for the districts that I worked in and I always felt that my classroom to, as important to them as it was to me for it to be upkept, for it to be painted when it needed to be painted, for things to be, the floors to be taken care of. They really took pride in making sure that the building reflected the importance of the work that was happening in it. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for that. My institution that I work for now is a much older institution, and I get in trouble for putting in work requests that the paint is chipping. And so it's just a little... I just have a different feel of it now. So I understand for Tom to say, I finally have an office that has windows. One, that matters. Your vitamin D is very important, and it really can change the amount of work that you can get done. I think aesthetics in a space really can change the work that gets done there and the efficiency of people and I am all the things about it. From the ergonomics to the aesthetic of a mm-hmm. space are very, very important to me. So I get it. I understand what Tom is saying that he's worked somewhere for eight and a half years and yeah, having to pay your dues Lots and yeah, and be stuck in a windowless room for a long time. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. With that being said, Dan's wife, uh, the boss's wife, tells Lynette that she is the one that convinced Dan to give Tom the job rather than holding it over for Tim
2: Dugan. And what is the boss's wife doing, just hanging out at the office? I mean, I, I mean, I guess what's Lynette doing there? But like,
0: I can. She's bringing him there as kind of a peace offering to the the fight that they've had. In my opinion, is but yeah. But, like, like, does the boss's wife work there also? Didn't look like it. But no. I guess this is going to sound mean or, you know, not... Like, I'm not seeing her as a person. I'm only seeing her as the character that I'm given. Is She's there as a plot device. And, yeah, yeah, she doesn't have a lot to do between shopping. and it, Like, it makes me not take her seriously. So, again, yeah. I'm not blaming myself. I'm blaming the writers because that's what you're giving right. me to work with is that this person right. doesn't have a lot to do except be a plot device. But... Lynette's got this oh great thank you so much for sharing that with me I'm so delighted Mm -hmm. to know and she sees it as a something of an opportunity right to express
2: how much she's gonna miss Tom and how he's gonna miss out she hopes he doesn't regret missing out all the things because he's gone all the time Also, just from
0: knowing how human resources work and things like that, again, I've only ever worked for large institutions and, and big entities. I understand that small companies exist, and maybe they don't always do the things that they're supposed to do, or that they just do things differently based on their size, but how not professional is it for you to say, Hey, my husband wasn't going to give your husband that job. And I'm the reason I talked to him. Yeah. That. Like, you know, cause we're buddies yeah. and you know, I I'm looking out for you as a woman and it's like, how dare you think you know what my needs are?
2: Right. Yeah. Also. So my parents were in real estate ish. Like my dad mm-hmm. was entitled. My mom was an escrow. Oh. And when I grew up, we lived in San Diego and like, they were in a building, downtown San Diego. They actually, even when they were divorced, they still worked in the same building for a short period of time. So yeah. like that was where they would do the handoff um, sometimes, you know, yeah. the Friday handoff. they the guards. Yeah. Yeah. But I would have been busted if I were wild like that in their office. Like, yeah. wow. But I mean, I guess we don't really see anybody else in there other than the boss's wife. But like, I just... I was like, oh, that does not track with my experience of going to be in my parents' professional place of business.
0: And, like, my assistant brings her kids to work sometimes to, like, to go pick up something or they'll stop
2: by my office or something like that. And they would never do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, I mean, Tom was the one that was like, let's go on a chair race and fair running enough. them around. So, And obviously the, was, the boss's wife looks like she's totally okay with it anyway. So, Right. All right. Yeah. You want
0: to take us back to the stinky
2: apartment? We can finish out that scene. <laughs> so Gabby and Justin are still having their conversation. And she asks him about why. Why is he questioning his sexuality? And he talks about how he has a friend and they mess around sometimes, but it doesn't mean anything. And then... He tells her that he chose her because he thought it would be a safe way to determine whether or not he's gay because girls his age will talk, which yeah. is true. Okay. He also shares that he would have never told Mr. Solis about Gabby and John, which I think is really nice. Gabby kisses him very passionately, really lays one on him, asks him if he feels anything. He says no. And she says, you're definitely gay.
0: You know, ending the cringe cycle, right? Or, the cr- or like closing the cringe loop, we'll call it. And again- Does it help me in some way to know that Mark Terry is gay and he was intimately involved in every aspect of the show and that he wrote this particular episode? There's something there for me that maybe I'm supposed to feel like I can feel not as cringe about this, but I still do. And I mean, no offense, but like you can get aroused from things that... Don't necessarily tell you your sexuality. I mean, it just there are physical
2: things that happen to your body. <laughs> like, right, right. Not attractive. Gabby to my saying watcher. like, <laughs> Gabby saying like, you know, you me kissing you, you don't have any feelings about that. You must be gay. Like, I thought that was interesting. I was also very distracted by the full ashtray behind him oh, while they were talking. I was oh. like, oh god, I haven't seen a full ashtray since I was a kid. Same. So that was. That was weird. Um, I thought Gabby was really kind when she was kind of talking to him about, you know, I think you're really brave. Something that for me, like I I literally almost shut the TV off when as she was getting ready to leave, he said the thing about like, I was never going to tell. And he says, I may be gay, but I'm not a jerk. And I was like, I think that's the worst line I've heard in this entire show. Yeah. Like, like even right now, like I, I can't even like make words about why it bothered me as much as it did. But it was like. It just was wrong. Yeah. And I I almost was like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't
0: articulate that one either. That's
2: better left in 2005. Mm-hmm. But again, like having you, like, I, d- I guess I didn't know the backstory with Mark Cherry. Okay. So it makes me feel better about it. But like, I was really, I was really upset by that.
0: At the same time, I acknowledge that I don't have any, I haven't earned the right to feel better about it. Like, I'm not the person who gets to be outraged about this. It made me feel the way it made me feel, which is cringe. Like, yeah, I'm really problematic, but I also acknowledge that I'm not the one that really gets to feel feelings about that one.
2: For sure. For sure.
0: Okay. Anyway. Over at Susan's, I'm starting to feel like Detective Copeland just, you know, wants to hang out with her because he this is where Detective Copeland arrives at Susan's and asks if she will come to the station. And she said, well, we were just about to go to a movie. Obvious plot device to get Susan out of the house. Detective Copeland has come to her house twice to talk to her, right? So it felt like an obvious plot device there so that Julie could get out and go to the party instead of – to Zach's pool party instead of going to the movies with Susan like she was supposed to. Just works out perfectly that way.
2: And Susan does go. And Julie does take advantage of the opportunity. She sure does. She sure does. But is this like – my question still stands. Is this how this works? Like they show up to bring you down to the station, even if you aren't a suspect, like you don't drive yourself.
0: Yeah. I would want to drive myself. I have an issue with that in all situations people will always you know say hey we're going to the same thing do you just want to drive with me I do not and it has nothing to do with COVID it has nothing to do with thinking that you have like a dirty car or anything like that it literally is the fact that I need to control my entrance and exit and maybe you're having a better time at this party than I am and I want to leave Uh
1: uh-huh. 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 Yeah. and
0: I will shut a party down if I have to leave <laughs> so you want to stay keep your own car But at the same time, I said it was an obvious plot device, but at the same time, there is use to Susan being in a different space because at the station, Susan answers questions on camera and perhaps that would be harder to achieve in your own home. Like, let me bring in this camera equipment and stuff. And obviously there's another uh, detective or police officer on the other side of that two way mirror or is it one way mirror? Two, one way. Okay.
2: Uh, Right? Because you can only see... One way. Only one, one way, way can glass. through it? Okay. One way glass? That seems, wanna... that seems right. Okay. I know what you mean.
0: And yeah. And the detective says that the gunshot wound Mike had is unlikely to have happened from cleaning his gun. <laughs> he tells Susan about the break-in on, on Pine, which was far from Wisteria Lane. And Detective Copeland thinks that Susan is lying to protect Mike. And he's, he's really trying to help her do the right thing in his view, which is to say that that couldn't possibly have been. But Susan says that Mike would never kill anyone. And that Mm. seems to be a spark
2: for him because he comes back. Yeah. So he pulls out Mike's file and shows that he'd been in prison. He did five and a half years for drug trafficking and manslaughter. And Susan just looks devastated. And so Copeland gives her a moment and goes out into the hallway and looks in through the one or two way glass, whichever, and talks to the other detective. And the conversation is, is she covering for her guy? No, she's just a sucker. And it, oh, oh, Susan.
0: Absolutely. And so as sad. from the audience perspective, we heard Noah say, you've already killed for Deirdre once. And we right. didn't get, so we're letter. not
2: shocked by this. Oh.
0: It's the second, yeah, it's only watching the Susan. second time that we've heard it though. It's only, this is the first time since then that we've heard that. So it does strike a chord with all of us, I think.
2: Meanwhile, back on the lane, mm. Julie and Danielle show up to the party with balloons, which who's taking Zach to get him balloons? You know, know. Who's, who's doing that? I agree. Nobody's doing that. So, but I like that there's literally zero breeze in the air because those balloons are straight up in the air, not, <laughs> not waving in the wind at all. So very climate controlled today. So Julie and Danielle show up together. Danielle finds John and says she has a surprise for them. If he, they can go somewhere and talk, Zach is so excited to see Julie. But of course, Andrew has brought all of their, his friends and they're acting like total jerks. Andrew just, it's so interesting. Cause he tries to be so like, reserved and cool and adult but then he's with his friends and he's acting like a clown like just yes. being a complete jerk so julie and zach are sitting there watching this happen and they're you know trying to lift zach into get zach into the pool and what you're the party guy get him just to howl. so weird
0: get him to howl. yeah like oh my goodness
2: yeah like what even is that so
0: it reminded julie- me of the alpha dog because they all do that in alpha dog which might be like the most 2004 thing i've said today like that's I exact- know what that is. Oh it's like the Justin Timberlake First movie thing with him And oh. Hirsch and it's a whole thing Yeah go watch that trailer and I'm Guessing you probably watched it because it felt like It was a coming of age movie that People okay. watch
2: with Justin Timberlake yes. in it Anyway So Zach basically says I could Take care of him if I wanted to because I know Where my mom keeps her gun and kind of like Makes the yeah. the gun motion Pew pew just yes. Well that makes my stomach Turn Like Julie is an upstander about this. She's like, that's not funny. I'm leaving. Instead of, don't say that and then staying there and like making it okay. So she sees Danielle crying at the front and wants to leave. Zach rushes over and says, Are you going to be coming back? And Julie's like, Yeah, I don't really think so. So they go one way, Zach goes the other. And I was really proud of Julie for doing the right thing and getting out of there. She's just perfect. You know, she really is. And it makes me sad that she has to be so perfect. Yeah. Yes. Agree. It also keeps adding to the Zach creepy, Mm -hmm. scary, gone from creepy to scary now, I do believe, persona. And it also kind of the Andrew and his friends thing was really... Not great. and if we put this in context of the time, we're not too
0: far from you know it's 2005 that this is happening not that far from 2000 from 2000 in Columbine and the readers of this text are going to make connections even if they're subconscious connections to those that mm-hmm. children having or teenagers young adults having access to weapons and using that to settle a score about bullying.
2: right right, right. yes.
1: I'm going to let
0: you have Tom because the final scene where we wrap up the pool is
2: going to lead into my new segment. So I'm going to let you have Tom. Okay. So Tom tells Lynette, they're in bed, tells Lynette that Dan changed his mind and is holding the position for Tim Dugan. And he is so sad. He looks so forlorn. Lynette says, it's okay, honey. You'll make VP someday. And Tom says, well, I'm glad it worked out this way. You know, I'll get to be around more. I don't end up having a heart attack while I'm playing softball. Mm -hmm. Clearly not convincing, which you feel bad for him, but they had already moved him into that office and we saw his name on the door, mm-hmm. Tom Scavo, vice president. Do they do that? Were they just
0: no. rip him back
2: out of there? And is that a thing? Well, I will tell you in my institution,
0: it wouldn't be because... It costs a lot Inside of money. Well, that it costs a lot of money to move somebody from office to office and do some of those things. So they're not going to part with that money easily. And the second piece is how do you really explain that? I feel like that is grounds for lo- litigation. You told me that you were giving me the promotion. I made plans based on additional income and the choices that were going to have to be made so if anything i think you have to pay me what you were going to pay me as vp and i continue my job before i sue you but you know if any yeah. lawyers are listening to us and they want to tell me that you know proudly live in a very union state and maybe my understanding of things is a little bit skewed based on the fact that i think workers have rights mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. then go right ahead yeah. go right ahead please let me know the error of my ways all right, so I'm going to, where are we going at? I'm going to take you into a new segment. So we'll go through the scene, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about the production of this scene, and I will have okay. two truths and a lie. I know you're familiar with this as an icebreaker. So over at Susan, Susan arrives home to find Mike, and Mike asks how it went. Susan breaks down and says that she knows that Mike is a liar and apparently a killer. And Mike really wants to explain, but Susan just won't let him. She just shuts down the conversation and she goes inside to find that Julie is gone and rightfully assumes that Julie went to the party. So Susan goes over to Zach's house to find really nobody there. Just kind of everybody's gone as she's looking for Julie. So she goes outside to the pool and she assumes... That she finds Julie and Zach in the pool making out, but it's not Julie and Zach. It certainly is not. It is Justin and Andrew. Yes. And Andrew kind of goes to the other side of the pool, says, I'm not gay. And Susan wants to leave gracefully, but she can't. She is tripping over stuff left and right and sideways. And it's just comic relief. ...to this scene, but she still doesn't know where Julie is. Nonetheless, she's going to leave the boys in the pool. This is not her... This is not her moment.
2: Not her circus. So
0: I want to talk to you about the production of this. I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie, and I want you to find the lie for me, okay? About this particular scene. ready. So Sean Pyfrom, who plays Andrew Vandekamp, says that his real-life girlfriend was jealous that he would be kissing Justin's character, that she didn't want him kissing anybody, honestly. She was just jealous. But once she saw the actor who would be playing Justin, she was jealous that she didn't get to kiss Justin because he was so hot. So that's one of the things that could be true or true or false. Number two, Terry Hatcher was so seriously injured in the second take for the pool scene where she trips over the furniture that they had used the first take, which is what we see in this episode. Okay. Three director Larry Shaw said that he saw a great deal of similarity between Terry Hatcher and Diane Keaton after directing her in this scene. Which is the lie?
2: I think it is very likely that a girlfriend would be jealous of kissing. I mean, you wouldn't have been together through the like the entirety of your partner's career at this point to know that that's like a normal thing. So Fair I think enough. the first thing's true. The second thing. Think could be true. I think the third one's the lie. Okay. So you
0: think that the lie is about.
2: Yeah, because I think Diane Keaton plays more serious. I don't know. She's good with comedy, but. I think the way Susan is portrayed, I believe that it would be the third thing would be the lie.
0: Amanda, that is actually true. Director Larry Shaw said that he saw a great deal of similarity between Terry Hatcher and Diane Keaton because they can be, I think you've called it all seasons in a day, that they can go from being really comedic to very serious in the same scene. And that this scene helped him to make that connection. So that is actually
2: true. So you want to take another guess? Okay. The second one, the injury. That
0: is the lie. Very, very good. They actually did multiple takes of this. And director Larry Shaw said that he was concerned she was going to get hurt from doing so many things. And he was putting the lawn chairs closer to the pool. And he was sure sure that somebody was going to say, no, this can't happen. She's an important actress and she's going to actually get hurt. But that she was just a really good physical comedian. So there you go.
2: I like it. I like that segment. That was
0: good. You liked the segment. Okay. Well, other people tell us what you thought of that segment. I liked it. We move over to Gabby uh, suggesting selling the house back at Gabby and Carlos very meaningful and poignant scene. Amanda, would you take us through
1: it? Mm-hmm.
2: So they are just kind of standing there in the doorway of their beautiful home that they love so much. And Gabby says, you know, like things have changed. Like we need to face the music and sell the house. Carlos doesn't want to, but Gabby shows a whole different side of herself here and just says, It's necessary. We'll build back better
1: hmm.
2: later. Um, I feel like this is one of the first times we see them be real people. They're acting as partners and supporting each other and having a realistic conversation. Gabby, Carlos says something about, You know, or I don't want to be poor. There you go. And Gabby says, Well, I've been broke a lot, but I've never been poor because poor is a state of mind, which I thought was a super. Interesting statement for Gabby yeah. and Carlos then says, well, we can get an apartment and then we'll start over and I'll buy you a house just as big as this. And Gabby says bigger. That's right. Of course. You got to have something so, to aim for. Yeah. So my first thought is it was believable. Okay. I felt like it was the two of them believable as a couple, where will they move and how will she still stay friends with the, her girls? Right. And then who is this making room for on the lane when they move out of this house? Dun, dun, dun. Yes.
0: Over at, back at the diner about this over at the diner Noah is talking to one of the detectives from earlier and my understanding of the scene is that the
2: detective is willing to take a bribe from Noah yes and at first I thought it was Tom Scavo <gasps> really okay <laughs> yeah I was like oh what's Tom doing at the diner <laughs> how does so... he know Noah <laughs> I know I we know see him be such a thinking. buffoon we don't take him seriously <laughs> I know it's a cover. It's all a cover up. And again, the pie in this scene was not a very appetizing looking piece of pie to me.
0: Good to know. And it didn't strike me a bit. And it must just be because I only like three pies. So if it's not yeah. one of those, doesn't yeah. much do anything yeah. for me. They had hosted this at a Cheesecake
2: Factory. Call me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or at Sugar Jones. If you're catering in Sugar Jones, Fair I'm in.
0: Final words from Mary Ellis. Yes, each day in suburbia brings with it a new set of lies. And the worst are those that we tell ourselves before we fall asleep. We whisper them in the dark, telling ourselves that we're happy and we pan to Brie, or that he's happy and we pan to Tom and Lynette, or that we can change and we pan to Justin. That would just breaks my heart. Just
1: Yeah, you be you, man. Just
0: you be you. Yeah, or that he will change his mind, and we pan to Danielle, or we persuade ourselves that we can live with our sins. Pan to Mike, or that we can live without him. Panning to
2: Susan, yes, and Susan turns just so we can see the light hit her single tear on her cheek.
0: Very poignant. And yes, each night before we fall asleep, we lie to ourselves in the desperate hope that come morning it will all be true. Hmm. Oh, where
2: are we headed next? The
0: ladies who lunch, Amanda. Yay! Our aspirations. I hope
2: they go to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh no, that was I wish. Over. I wish we could go to lunch together and film and record this together. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what's on the horizon? All right.
0: Well, until then, I'm Rachel, and I'm Amanda, and thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.